November and in November the sun sets between the needles which is like a Kodak moment if you are into photography and I'm into photography. I have probably about a thousand pictures of Cannon Beach and probably 400 of them are the sun setting between the needles. You know, it, it, it is what it is. So, privilege for me to come back. Just to remind you, um, I'm currently the campus pastor of Colorado Christian University. I did bring some literature if any of you want to ever ask me for stuff. Um, great place to go to school. Um, I love Multnomah. I was there for 30 years. I love CCU because I'm there now for four years. Love what God is doing. God is building our campus. It's thriving. We have been growing the last 10 years nonstop. We've never dipped in enrollment for the last 10 years. God is just blessing. We're in a building project. We're building eight buildings in 10 years, and we're building four and five these two years, buildings fours and five. The last building is the new student commons. If you come visit me, I promise you, promise you, promise you, I will take you on tour of the campus, and I will give you a free lunch in the cafeteria because I'm the campus pastor, and they say campus pastors ought to be able to host anybody they want. So I choose to host you guys if you ever come visit me. The, camp, the new student commons is $25 million building, so it's just massive. The main floor is a cafeteria with about seven buffet food lines of all day. A little bit, little bit bigger than what you have here at Ecola in terms of the food lines going. And the downstairs is a, is a massive um, fitness center. As campus pastor, I wanted to put a verse on the building, you know, to make it biblical. And they said, what verse would you put on the building? And I said, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, buffet your body. And they go, that's not buffet, that's buffet. I said, well, it's spelled the same way. Come on. Buff, buffet is the the fitness center in the basement buffet is the main floor it's, it works both ways perfect they didn't do it they didn't do it so uh, you know whatever i don't have any clout at at ccu but i love my job uh, one of the things that i love is that we are into student missions like you guys are by the way go on a mission trip go on a mission trip might be too late to sign up but go anyway um we did 30 mission trips last year 30 I led the mission trips to Ethiopia, which is where I was born and raised, grew up as a kid. I had not been back to Ethiopia since I was eight years old, so radical, amazing experience for me personally. Um, but God is just really, really working and really blessing. Um, have to share a little bit of, of my family, just to remind you. We have four kids, um, and they're all married. Three of them live in Portland. So it's really a blessing and a treat for me to be able to fly out and spend Thanksgiving with my three kids and, um, and then come to Ecola here because Cannon Beach is one of my all-time favorite places to come. And uh, so we have um, Abigail, Andrew, Adam, Allegra. And uh, I need to brag a little bit about my grand, grandkids because I'm now a grandparent, you know. So Pippa, if you remember, you know, Pippa is um, in, in Austria you know, and we do FaceTime with her. She's really good on FaceTime. And, you know, that's, that's Pippa. She's learning how to drive already. They, they drive early in Europe, you know. And she had a little baby sister, Charlie, who was born uh, two years ago, actually, now. So Charlie is, um, Pippa is almost four, and Charlie is two. This is, you know, some update pictures of Charlie. We are going to Austria this summer. 
because you know when you're the parents of kids that live overseas you just have to visit them you know a lot so um, we bought Black Friday tickets for 500 bucks round trip to Europe so great great deals we're going to Europe this summer um, this is Austria this is Salzburg where Drew lives his office is three minute walk from from Maribel Gardens which is they can see the castle, you know, from here, et cetera. We were there two years ago in winter, and this is this is what it looks like, you know, in the winter. Um, Adam, my son Adam lives in Portland, and they had our grand our grandson. So baby Benson, baby Benson is just like about as chill as they come, you know. He's got the hair, he's got the smile. He is a total extrovert, total extrovert. He's you know, you whip out the camera, and he smiles. I mean, this, I can tell you a story about this picture. It's, it's really cute. So he just smiles everywhere, everywhere. This picture on the left is his passport picture. <laughs> he's like one years old. <laughs> and with all that hair, he looks like he's three. So, you know, that's his passport picture. They got him a passport so that they can take him wherever they want to, wherever they want to go on a spur of the moment. Hey, I got to brag about him because Benson just passed his super float test. He floated for five minutes in the water with his clothes and shoes on. Yeah. They teach you how to float with your clothes and shoes. So if ever you fall into the pool, you just, you just automatically do it. They came and visited us, and at our condo, we have a pool and Adam just threw him into the water, and he went down underneath like a little fish. He paddled a little bit, and then he turned over, and he came to the surface, and he just floated on his back, you know? One-year-old! One-year-old! He's doing five minutes of float. That's more floating time than I could ever do, I'm sure. You know, that's, that's pretty amazing. And it reminded me of this principle that, you know, we need to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. And I, I couldn't help but think about, you know, baby Benson is learning how to float. He's learning how to trust his floating skill so that when the storms of life happen, like, you know, water comes and storms of life will happen in your life, living on the Oregon coast, you know, storms happen. They've already happened since I've been here. You can trust in the Lord because you've built your faith. You've built your faith. And Benson is learning how to build his faith. Right now, it's just a faith in, in floating. But I hope as he grows older, he'll learn how to build his faith in God and in Jesus and, you know, whatever. So that's, that's our family. Um, didn't talk about the others because they don't have any grandkids, you know. So, you know, hey, just, just talked about the ones with, with grandkids so far. So um, lead, leadership and ministry. I want to pray for us, and then I want to talk about why this class God, thank you for these students. Thank you that they desire to learn more about you. They want to learn more about themselves and the way that you've created them, how you've gifted them. God, by their being here, they are telling you that they want to be good stewards of the gifts that you have given to them, and they want to steward them, their gifts wisely as they help build the kingdom of God. Direct them, I pray, God, in this year of, in some ways, it's a year of transition because they're, they're learning, they're growing in their faith, they're learning the Bible more, they're learning ministry more, but they're also transitioning to the next 
phase of their life and I pray that you would lead and guide and direct them into whatever phase um, and place of ministry that will be. God, I pray that you will use this class in their life um, to empower them, to encourage them, to build them up so that they can be better leaders um, in the church and in the kingdom of God and in the world, in their world that they live. Help them to be a transforming force in their community, in their school, uh, in their dorms, wherever they are for your kingdom. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Why this class? Interestingly enough, Dave Duff called me years ago, and I can't even remember how many years ago it was now. He called me and he said, uh, Dave, we're thinking about starting a second year of school at Ecola, and we're thinking about focusing on ministry-related issues. Um, what would you suggest would be key courses in our curriculum that would help these students? And I was engaged in a PhD program in leadership at the time at Gonzaga. And I said, oh, man, you've got to have a course in leadership. <laughs> More than one class in leadership. And he says, great, would you teach the class in leadership? I said, man, I'd be happy to. Uh, what kind of thing do you think I should cover in leadership? Because there is a, I mean, leadership is a huge topic. You can talk about all different kinds and facets and phases of And I said, you know what? I think um, my suggestion, I mean, I could talk about a lot of practical stuff, and I, and I will, but I said, I think you need kind of an intro course in what leadership is. What's, definition, what's a basic definition of leadership? What are some of the theories and the models of leadership that are out there in the secular culture, and what are the theories and models of leadership that you could use and implement in your life, in your ministry, in your family, in your church, in missions, and wherever you end up going I'd love to talk about that. And he said, great. You design the class that you want, and then you, you just go for it. And I, I can't remember now, how, how long has this second year been in place? Ten years, maybe? Yeah. So I've been teaching this class um, for all those years, and it's just been a privilege to, to talk about just the basics um, of leadership. Now, did you guys get class notes? Good, good, because we will... I'll be going over those class notes, and I created a, I created, you know, an outline so that you could, and with a lot of stuff printed so you don't have to spend class time <laughs> writing out these definitions, I'm, I, you know, I printed them. So why me as the teacher um, or the leader of this class is because of just the fact that I, I suggested that and he, and he asked me, but I consider it a privilege. Um, my philosophy of teaching is I don't want you to necessarily see me as the final authority on this topic. I mean, I've done a lot of reading. I've done a lot of study, done PhD work, you know, in this area. It's a passion of mine. But I want to lead you. I want to, and, and you'll see what I mean by lead you when I start giving some definitions of leadership. I want to lead you. I want to influence you. I want to empower you. I want that when you get done with this class that you're going to feel empowered to go lead. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to feel empowered. Now, we're going we're gonna to bash some myths of leadership because there's some myths out there that I think we need to, to address and uh, speak to. Um, but that's, that's pretty much um, what I think. You know, as I thought about leadership in my life, um, I, I did this 
uh, exercise when I was taking my PhD courses, I was looking back on my life and I thought, you know, what were some of the things that I ended up leading? Uh, I was the grade school class president. I was voted as class president. I don't really know why. Funny story, I went to my 40th high school reunion not too long ago. Um, and I was talking with this one friend of mine that was in my class, grade school class. And I said, hey, Butch, I have a confession. I said, the first time we had a, a vote for leadership, I got elected class president. And then in the winter term, I got elected class president. And then I remember you came up to me and you said, you know, as long as all the boys vote for the boys, we have one more boy than girls, so we're going to be, you know, we're going to be in leadership. And I thought, I don't see leadership that way. I kind of felt sorry for the girls. And so spring quarter, I decided I was going to vote for the girl. So we put our heads, you know, down and we voted and I voted for the girl and the girl was the class president. I was happy for her because I didn't want to be class president the whole time. And Butch came up to me after, after the vote and he says, Young Word, I can't believe it. He said, some guy must have voted for that girl. I'm going to find out who that guy is because, man, we, we just need to maintain the power in this class, you know. I didn't have the guts or the nerve to tell him I was the guy that voted for the girl. But at my 40th year high school reunion, <laughs> I said, Butch, confession, I was the guy <laughs> that voted for the girl. <laughs> Playground sports. I always got picked to be the captain. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I was good in sports. I don't know. In relationships and dating, does it take leadership? Somebody has to lead. Somebody, you know? Yeah. Sports teams, coach. I've done, I've been captain of the teams. I've been on teams. I've been coaching. I started a bunch of clubs in college. I did a bunch of events. In college, I was an RA, residence assistant. Loved it, loved it, loved it. I was a student leader on my campus. Then I got married does being married take leadership? Yep, it does. I was a father. Does being a father take leadership? Yep, it does. I was a youth pastor. Does that take leadership? Yep, it does. Does being a pastor? Yep, yep, yep. I was chairman of a lot of meetings. I served on a lot of committees. I was teacher, professor for a number of years at Multnomah, and now at CCU. I've been a missionary. I've served on missions boards. You know, I've been a church elder. I've done, you know, I've been all kinds of stuff over the course of my life. And you know what? As I look back on those, I, I realize, dude, that was involving leadership. A lot of times, and you guys will probably resonate with this, there's a lot of times that you do things that you look back on and you think, oh my goodness, I was a leader. And I didn't even realize I was a leader. Some of you are making posters for the Triad Conference. Guess what? You're a leader. You're making something happen. That's one of the definitions of leadership. You know, we're going to get there. And then I did my PhD studies at Gonzaga in leadership, and I learned then about leadership and about leadership theory and did a lot of research and writing on leadership, and I loved it. I love the topic of leadership, and so it's just it resonates with who I am. So this is, um, when I write, wrote out this course, I wrote out a course description, and I, I also kind of did something different. I wrote my direction and intent for the course. 
right? It's not just a course description, but it's what, what is my desire for y'all when you, when you take this class? So if you look at your class notes, I think this is, this is a breakdown of the heading under the course description. Leadership in ministry is designed to provide an overall understanding of the concept of leadership and its practical applications and usefulness in ministry. That's just a basic description of the course. It provides basic definitions, theories, and descriptions of leadership and what it means to be an effective leader. And it's meant to identify issues, challenges, practical principles, and resources related to leadership and ministry. Now, I realized that um, I can't keep up with the, with the resources in leadership. Oh, my goodness. Um, every year, I could... You could go on to Amazon or whatever and type in leadership and you could come up with massive amounts of resources and books and stuff on this topic. So the list of resources that I have in the back of this packet are, are just introductory and we could add a lot to those. And you, you, could, you could just Google any kind of leadership that you're into and probably find a whole bunch of resources. So, for example, if you're, like, helping with a junior high ministry in your church, you could just Google leadership and junior high ministry, and, boop, you know, here pops up all kinds of resources. I didn't go there, but, but you could do that. You guys are empowered. You, you guys know the Internet. You guys know how, you know. I learned years ago from my son, Google it. That, that's the buzzword, you know, Google it. Back when I was going to school, it was like, look up in the dictionary. Now it's just Google it, and then, you know, it's right there. So you can, you can have all kinds of um, resources, all kinds of quotes. So this will be just meant to be kind of an outline and kind of provide some direction for you and some, some over. And as you think about leadership, are you a leader? That's the first question. Now, that's kind of a rhetorical question. I'm not, I'm not asking for a show of hands, you know, I'm a leader or I'm not a leader or whatever. It's just I want to ask you the question, are you a leader? Think, think about that. And as we go through the class, um, you might grow in your understanding of leadership uh, because of the way that we go. Why or why not are you a leader? And, of course, that raises questions about leadership, like what is a leader? What is not a leader? Am I a leader if I never talk or sit in, you know, the back of the class and never participate in anything? Am I a leader or am I just a follower or or what? What makes you a leader? These are all just natural questions that you could ask as we get into this class. Think of the some effective leaders in history. Who are some of the effective leaders? When you, when you look down through history and you think leadership, who, who comes to your mind? Go ahead, shout out some names. Napoleon, Napoleon was a leader. Winston Churchill was a leader. George Washington. I thought of some. I googled it. I I googled no. Martin Luther King, leader. John F. Kennedy. Yeah, you probably don't realize, you know, because John F. Kennedy died when I was just in grade school. And oh, my goodness, my, my concept of him, you know. Oh, my goodness, Hitler, was he a leader? Yes, he was a leader. Was he an effective leader? Yes, and that's what's scary. <laughs> Is that he led people in the direction that he wanted 
them to go. But was that a good direction? So then we need to talk about the ethics of leadership. By the way, that pot back there is steaming profusely. Is that okay? Do we want that pot to steam? Or is it done steaming and we turn it off? I guess I'm not going to worry about it if you guys aren't worried. Okay. <laughs> just, 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 I was just curious. Okay. Gandhi was a leader. I don't know how much you've read about some of these guys, but wow, pretty significant. Michael Jordan. I'll tell you what, I mean, a lot of his records have been passed, but still in the basketball world, when they think of Michael was like in a class all by himself, even though there's other guys that are, that are, you know, passing him up. By the way, a little basketball story. Last year, little old Colorado Christian University hired a new basketball coach. He's an older guy. Um, he used to be the, bas the assistant basketball coach at WSU, which is Washington State University, which is kind of like in the Northwest. Any, anybody here from, I met a girl from Pullman already, but anybody else here from, from Washington or Eastern Washington? So Washington, Eastern Washington. Central Washington? Or just Washington. Anybody here from Central or Eastern Washington? Okay, so WSU. He was the shooting coach of Clay Thompson. And I don't know if you know who Clay Thompson is. Clay Thompson, about a month ago, just broke. He plays for the Warriors. He just broke the, the NBA record for three points in a game. What was it, like 19 three point shots in a game? Not shots, made. Three points made in a game. Three points. Anyway, that's our basketball coach now. And so he, we're going to have some future Clay Thompsons, I hope, that, you know, I don't know if we'll break the NBA. By the way, Gonzaga, my, my alma mater, are you following college basketball? Do you know what Gonzaga's doing right now? They're ranked number one. Number one in the entire nation. They beat Duke just like four days ago. Woo! Go, go Zags. Okay, Winston Churchill, yes. Billy Graham just died recently, but wow, what a, what a m monumental leader. Trump, whether you like him or not, he's, he's a leader. He's influencing Oprah Winfrey. It's interesting how whenever I ask that question, think of a leader, almost never do we think of women. And usually we think of men. We're going to maybe talk about that a little bit. Because really, who's the most influential people in the world? Probably more women than men in terms of influencing people. Oprah Winfrey is considered one of the most influential women in the world. Did you know that? Not just because she has a lot of money. <laughs> Not just because she has her own TV show. Oh, Mother Teresa. Wow. What was her title? Do you remember? What was that? <laughs> Usually when we think of leaders, we think of, of their title. Um, that's one of the myths that I'm going to blow apart is that you need a title to be a leader. What was Mother Teresa's title? Nobody knows. I don't even know what her title was. She didn't really have a title. She was a leader, she was an influencer, and she didn't even have a title. She was not the president, she was not the, 
CFO. She was not the chief. She was not the commander. She was not. She just had a heart and a passion that just wouldn't quit. Jesus. Oh my goodness. You know, in almost every Christian circle that I've asked who is an effective leader, hardly ever does somebody say Jesus. Yeah, you don't want to give the Sunday school answer, you know, Jesus. Is, yeah. The answer is probably, you know, something else, but I'll say Jesus. Um, no, it's Jesus was a very effective leader, one of the most influential leaders of human history, you know. This is one of my favorite passages when it comes to leadership. Let me read it for you, and then I want to I wanna pick your brain a little bit. Psalm 78, it's talking about David. And God chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people Israel. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. Wow. It's only three verses, but it says a lot about leadership. Now, when I read and studied leadership, um, it was interesting because one of the things that we always ask is what characteristics or qualities do we see or can infer about leadership? And it would seem like there's, we can break down qualities of leadership into internal qualities, which is issues of character and heart and influencing qualities, which is more or less competency or performances. I like to break these down in, in uh, you know, who we are as people is, is, a, is a very important part of leadership, who we are as a, as a person, our integrity, things like that. But also, not just who we are, but what we can do. Like David, it talks about with skillful hands. So David had the ability to lead. Just think about it for a minute. David learned how to be king over a nation from being a shepherd. It's like, what if Trump had been a shepherd? <laughs> I think he would be a different kind of a leader if he was a shepherd. Okay. Let me ask you this question. What characteristics or qualities do you see or can infer about David and leadership from these verses? What do, what do you see in those about leadership? What kinds of qualities or characteristics? you see in leadership? Humble. What was that? Humble. humble. Yeah. Humility. And would you say humility is part of an internal or part of an influence? Is it internal or is it external? Yeah. It's kind of a trick question, but it's, it, it, it starts internal, but it's, it's also external. Your humility here on this campus is internal, but it's also demonstrated externally, right? In the way that you treat people and situations, you know? What else do you see about leadership in these verses? What other qualities, characteristics? Yeah. 
What was that? He's meek. Where is, does it say that? Oh, he tends sheep. Yes. Tending sheep was not necessarily a real prestigious or, or status type job, right? It was a very, it was a very humiliating, very meek um, type of a position. Um, and, and there's a lot that goes into shepherding sheep. He was faithful. He was diligent. He was present. He was tender. He cared for them. He helped meet their needs. He helped find them food. He protected the sheep from the bears and the lions. Remember when he faced Goliath, he, he told King Saul, yeah, well, I've been, you know, Saul says, what qualifies you to be, you know, uh, in the army and to kill lions or to kill giants? And he said, well, I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear while I was sending my sheep. So he's, he's strong. He's, he's feisty. By the way, I, were, I read a book this last year that has put me on a journey of reading books by this author. He's now become probably one of my favorite authors. A guy by the name of Mark Batterson. Do any of you, have any of you heard of that name? Mark Batterson. He's a pastor in Washington, D.C. He started a church 15 years ago there. He writes one book, at least one book a year. He's written about 15 books. His first book was called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And you think, dude, what that's about. Does that ring a bell for any of you? Are any of you Bibles, Bible trivia scholars? Guy by the name of Benaniah, who was one of David's mighty men. He, David had a whole category of men that he called his mighty men. Benaniah was this guy who was this amazing guy that fought Egyptians, killed people. And then it has this little phrase and it says, one day he went in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. <laughs> and the inference is, dude, are you going to tangle a 500-pound lion in a pit and come out alive? Ben and I did. So what kinds of qualities must Ben and I have? And that's what the whole book is about. Very inspiring book. I recommend it highly. In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day by Mark Batterson. And then I recommend any book by Mark Batterson. I'm on my about eighth or ninth book by Mark Batterson. Um, incredible. Okay, let's just go. Let's just go. God chose David. So right away we have God choosing. Does God always have to choose you to be a leader? Or can you just step up and be a leader? That's one of the questions we have. Well, because God chose him, God was the one that elevated him to be a leader. That's one of the principles I think of leadership is that you wait for God to elevate you to positions of leadership. You don't try to, you know, put your name into the hat to be, you know, get the raise or to get the, the presidency or whatever. Let God move you along that line. God chose David his servant. Leaders have a servant heart. One of the models of leadership that we're going to explore is what we call servant leadership. Now, you might think, oh, that was Jesus and that was David. Yeah, it was, but the guy that wrote servant leadership did not have Jesus and David in mind when he was writing about servant leadership. We'll, we'll explain that and we'll talk about that. So God chose David. David was a servant. David was God's servant. David had qualities of a servant. And God took him from the sheep pen. So God was the one that moved him. 
You know, and you might think, man, I'm stuck here at Ecola, and what, where is God going to lead me next? Man, you've got to trust God for his leadership in your life to take you to that next place. From tending sheep, and we could infer all kinds of things about tending sheep. You know, it's dirty. <laughs> it's, it's on the backside of the, of the pasture. Nobody sees, nobody cares, nobody knows. Remember when David got, got, got oiled, got anointed, you know, as king? His own dad even forgot that he was back there tending sheep. You know, it's kind of a no-name, no-status no job. And God brought him to the shepherd to, to, to be the shepherd of his people, Evel, um, so to be the king. And David shepherded them. So all the characteristics of, of shepherding is about leadership. With them integrity of heart, so that's internal for sure. Integrity is a critical, critical issue in leadership. Um, Hitler didn't have integrity, but he was still a very influential leader. Um, we won't go with, you know, did, does, does our current president have integrity? We won't go there. But skillful hands, he led them. So there's a whole bunch of issues going on there with leadership. Let's move on. Um, what's the class outline? First of all, we're going to go over some definitions. Uh, we're going to go over leadership in the Bible. We're going to go over a leadership diagram. I like pictures, so I want to diagram leadership for you. Leadership descriptions and theories. Leadership dynamics. And so that's, that's the outline. That's where we're going. We, we might not even get through the definitions today because that's a big part of what we're going to get into. So leadership definitions. Look at your notes here, and we're going to go over some of these. First of all, one of the things that I was, interest, I was very interested to find out when I studied leadership, was that there doesn't seem to be any clear consensus on the definition of leadership. There's, there's a wide opinion about leadership. There's a wide variety of stuff when it comes about leadership. Um, it's complicated. It's complex. It's multifaceted. It's dynamic. It's fluid. It flows. It's like jazz. There was even a book called Leadership is Like Jazz. What do you think they meant by that? Leadership is like jazz. What is jazz like and how is that like leadership? Jazz just kind of goes all over, right? It's, it's spontaneous. It goes with the flow. It flows. It moves. And they say that's kind of like leadership. Leadership is spontaneous. One of the main theories of leadership that we'll get into is what we call situational leadership. And it's that you go in and you analyze the situation and then you adapt your leadership to the situation. You don't go in and you just take charge and you manipulate the situation. No, you use the situation to adapt your leadership to whatever needs to be done for that, different, for that particular situation. That's like jazz. And it's like art. Why would leadership be like art? There was another book called Leadership is Like Art. Why, why would leadership be like art? Any guesses? Art is very subjective. Yes. Art is like more in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> you know, some of the pieces of art you see, you go, what? What was the guy thinking? Or, do we call that art? You know, kind 
know, and and that's what they're saying. That's part part of why they talk about leadership is is like art is because it's very subjective, and it's very it, it flows and it's very creative, and it's really in in the eye of the beholder. Some of the people that you might look to and think, oh, that person is a leader. Somebody else might look at and say, that person's not a leader at all. It's kind of like when you go to an art museum, you say, now that is art. And somebody else might say, what? That just looks like a bunch of drawings on the wall, you know? Um, this is a little diagram that I found that's kind of cute. <laughs> the left, what leadership looks like, what leadership feels like. <laughs> if you've been involved in leadership, it's all over the map. It's going this way, going that way. It's loosey-goosey. It's you know, it's kind of like, like abstract art, you know, rather than, rather than formal art, you know. This is, a, this is somebody's diagram of leader. <laughs> you know, it's all over, it's all over the map. It's, it's everything. It's what makes, you know, it's trust, it's control, it's balance, it's experience, it's, you know, it's all kinds of stuff that goes into being a leader. That's why it's hard to, to describe, you know, leader. It's been said, Leadership is hard to describe, but everyone knows what it looks like and when we see it happening. That's interesting. It's hard to describe, but when we see good leadership, we just naturally think, you know, there's a, there's a good leader, you know? So no clear definition um, or description of leader. Number two is the word lead, to lead, comes from the old English word leaden or loaden. And you say, big deal, big deal. But leadership is about leading. What does that English word leaden or loaden mean? It means to make go. To make go. When used in a warfare context, it means to go forth and die. Do you know in early leadership in the military, the idea was that if you're a leader, that meant that you were out in front and that you would probably be the first one killed. What kind of leader is that? Who wants to be a leader? <laughs> Not me, man. If I were in a battle, some of those old battles, I'd want to be in the back. I wouldn't want to be in the front, you know, leading, you know, taking charge to make go, you know. Leadership, it's not just telling people what to do. It's actually modeling for them, you know, going. So you think of George Washington and all these other leaders. They're usually out on the front line. They're pictured out on the front line um, leading and going forth. The second definition under this English word laden or loden is to guide or to show the way. To guide or to show, the, first of all, to make go, and then to, to guide or to show the way. So a lot of times we have this, this mental image of leader is the one that's in front, and he's he or she is leading us by helping us, you know, show the way. Sometimes a leader, though, could be in the back or in the middle, and they're pointing the way for the rest of the group you know, to go. But it's the idea of to guide or to show the way. So it's leadership. It's about guidance. About, it's about compass. It's about a choir director um, that's leading, that's showing, that's guiding, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, when you think of those kinds of leaders, usually you think of vision, you know, to guide or to show the way. It's about vision. Leaders, that's one of the popular themes in leadership is, you know, what kind of vision does, does a leader have proper vision and vision cast and that kind of thing? And do they provide direction and that kind of thing? Uh, third definition is that 
Leadership simply means the capacity to make things happen. You know what? In some ways, I really like that definition. The capacity to make things happen. Because you know what? That could be any one of you right here at Ecola. Any one of you here at Ecola could make something happen. Right? And you wouldn't necessarily think of you as a leader, but you could make something happen. And when I look back on my life, there was a lot of times when I had a desire to make something happen, and I didn't really know where that desire came from. I, just, I was just a guy that liked to make things happen. I liked to plan parties. I liked to go on missions trips. I liked to do things. I liked to, you know, talk to people about, well, let's do or let's plan or let's go or let's, you know, whatever. And that's the whole idea of, of, of making something happen. Now, Interestingly enough here, and this is one principle that I learned in ministry and I've learned over time, is the capacity to make something happen doesn't mean that you have to be the one that always does it. It's the capacity to make it happen. You might make it happen by influencing somebody else to be the leader or somebody else to make it happen. You know what? What if... Um, Josh came to one of you and said, I want you to be the chair of a committee to plan a Christmas party for E. Cola. If I were asked to be a chair of a committee, what would be some of the thoughts that would go through my mind? First of all, I would say, well, I don't want to do all the work. I don't want to be a one-person committee. I'm going to pull people on my committee that have strengths in different areas that can, you know, fulfill different capacities. So I'm going to make it happen, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to find, I'm going to find somebody that's a good promoter. I'm going to find somebody that's a good decorator, can make all the, you know, the posters and the signs. I'm going to find somebody that makes good food. I want to find somebody that plans good games. I want to find somebody that, I want to find somebody, I want to find somebody. You get the idea? So I love being the chairman of a committee. Why? Because I love to promote and to help other people do what, it, what they're good at. And so as the chair of the committee, I'm not doing all that stuff. I'm just organizing it and helping it to happen, but not doing it myself. Let me give you an illustration of this because I think once you get this idea, I think it's going to radically impact the way that you see yourself as a leader. Okay, so way back in the day, I was a youth pastor. Uh, right out of seminary, I got hired as a youth pastor in my home church. And right away, I began to think through philosophy of youth ministry. And there was not a lot of books out on youth ministry. And so I had to kind of think creatively on, on the fly on myself. And I began to think, okay, what's my job as a youth pastor? And it was dramatically impacted one day by something that happened in my life that was a pretty traumatic event. My wife and I were coming back from a vacation in California, and we walk in the door, and our phone is ringing. And I answer the phone, and it's a mother of one of the girls in my high school youth group. And she says, Pastor Dave, Lori just ran away from home, and it's all your fault. What are you going to do about it? And I thought, it's not my fault. I'm the youth pastor. What did I have to do about it? 
And pretty soon I began to realize she is hurting. She's not needing an explanation. She's not me needing me to get defensive. She just needs me to listen and to care right now. And I said, oh my goodness, tell me about it. What happened? And then she said, well, Lori got fed up and she ran away from home. We've put Lori in your youth group and we wanted you to have a voice in her life. And so what are you going to do about it? And I said, wait a minute, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? And as a result of that conversation, it got me thinking, what is my job as a youth pastor? Is my job to, to take care of all the problems of kids in the church? Or is my job to help the parents do their job in taking care of and raising their children? And maybe I can help the parents fulfill their job because there's things that I can speak into their kids that maybe parents don't have a voice into. So it radically impacted my philosophy of youth ministry. And I began to write out a philosophy of youth ministry. And it was something like, my role as a youth pastor is to help the parents implement their God-given role in influencing and developing children and teens for, for Jesus Christ. So I began to think through practical programs in the church. One of the programs that we didn't have was how do I train parents to do their job? How do I train parents? If my philosophy is to help parents do their job, then what am I going to do? I was, I was 25 years old. I didn't have any kids. I was married. What was I going to do to help parents raise the, do their job? So I'm a leader. I'm, I have the capacity to make something happen. Am I going to start a Bible study and teach parents what to do? I'm 25 years old. But I wanted to make something happen. So any ideas what you think I came up with? What would you do? Do what? I didn't have kids. So I, I wasn't a parent. I didn't know about parenting. How was I going to help parents do their job? But I was not a parent. A leader doesn't mean that you have to be the one to do the teaching. A leader means you just have to make it happen. Yeah, that's a pretty radical thought. So if Josh comes to you and says, I want you to plan a party, the immediate tendency is to think, oh, I'm not a very good planner. I don't know. You should think, I just need to make it happen. That doesn't mean I have to do it. I just have to make it happen. I'm going to find somebody else to do it. Somebody that knows what they're doing. <laughs> so what I did was I called the parent in my, of, my, the ki of the parents of my kids. I looked in my youth group and I said, who are the parents that really are being good parents? Who are the parents that are being really good parents? And there was one family that just was head and shoulders above everybody else. And I called this guy up and I said, hey, I, I would love to brainstorm with you some ideas. Here's kind of where I, what I'm thinking is that I feel the burden to train parents in how to be good parents. But I am not a parent. I don't have a voice. I, I don't know what that looks like. 
I perceive you as a good parent. Would you be willing, if I did all the organizing of a parent group in the church, would you be willing to teach them on how to be a good parent? And he said, love to, love to. So I made it happen. I organized a parent group. I invited parents to my house. And I invited this guy to teach lessons. And every, every month we talked about one key issue dealing with youth, you know, parents that parents struggle with their teens. I think the first, the first session was just a brainstorming session on what are the issues that you guys struggle with as parents? We identified those issues and then every month we had a session on teaching about those issues. Now, isn't, doesn't that sound pretty simple? Yeah. So I was the leader, but I didn't teach the class. All I did was make it happen. Can you do that? Yes, you could do that. You don't have to teach the class. You don't have to plan the party. You just have to make it happen, though. You know, you can find people that know what they're doing. So, some practical applications for ministry. That's, that's what this section is right here, is, um, you know, how, how can you make that happen? A um, couple of other ideas that I wrote down is, this whole idea of the capacity to make things happen, I think one of the key qualities of a leader is one that initiates. One that initiates. You see a need and you initiate. That's the sign of a good leader. So, you're here at Ecola. What could you initiate? Have you ever thought about that? Let's say you go to lunch today and you sit down at a table. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but let me plant this idea in your mind. Who starts the conversation at your table? Usually the most talkative person. Who could start the conversation at the table? And could it be intentional? Yes. Could it be something meaningful? Yes. You could ask a simple question about what was the most interesting thing that you learned today in class? <laughs> Radical thought. How simple is that? But is that a typical conversation at Ecola? Probably not. I don't hear students, you know, saying, oh, what was the most profound thought that I learned in class today? I mean, they don't just have those kinds of conversations around the table. But you know what? You could initiate a meaningful conversation. You could say, this is a Thanksgiving time of the year. What's the thing that you're most thankful for? It's not a big deal. But you're simply initiating an intentional conversation so that the conversation isn't just spontaneous and superfluous, but it's meaningful and significant. You, you could have those kinds of conversations. I, I love E. Cola. One of the reasons I love E. Cola, mealtimes. Because I start conversations. I like to get to know people. 
I like to ask, you know, where are you from? And what are, you know, and we start conversations. And tell me about your church. Tell me about your family. Tell me about, tell me about, tell me about, you know. And we get into meaningful conversations. And quite often, some of the most meaningful conversations that I've been into here at Ecola have been around um, usually the lunch or dinner table because they don't have to run off to a class. <laughs> Breakfast is hard because everybody's running off. You know, so lunch and, and dinner, you start a conversation and then, oh my goodness, we'll be sitting around talking. And there'll be a bunch of us just talking because it's, it's an interesting conversation. You know? that, that's one of the practical implications for ministry is that you initiate and you stop and think, what could I initiate that's meaningful? Um, the other thing about this is that it inspires, to inspire or to instigate or to generate. That's the whole idea of to, the capacity to make things happen. I like to think of leadership, and a little bit later I'll give you, you know, more definitions. I, th I like to think of leadership as to empower, you know, to encourage. And you guys can be encouragers. Y you know what that word encourage means, right? To encourage, to pump courage into. You can pump courage into somebody by just saying a positive word. Or you can suck the courage out of somebody. That's discourage. <sighs> by what you say. You can say something like, you know, you really, look, you really look good in that outfit today. Or, where did you get that outfit? And, and when was the last time you washed that thing anyway? You know, I mean, it's, it's all a matter of what you say that can empower, can encourage, or discourage, you know, through that whole thing. Um, to go first to show the way. Oh, this is interesting because a lot of times in leadership, it implies that you go first and show the way. And it, and it is that, but I think sometimes that leads to kind of a misnomer is that lead simply means by being in front. And that's a lot of times what we think of when we think of leadership is being in front. You know, pictures of leadership, always being in front. But what happens? Leadership is often the position of leader that you're in front. The position or office of a leader. But position or power of leadership, um, the form or function of leadership, um, holding a leadership position is not the same as being a leader. Just because you're in front and you've been designated the leader doesn't mean that you really are the leader. Um, this is an interesting book. I have this book. You don't need a title to be a leader. Like I said, what was Mother Teresa's title? Nobody knows, but she was a very significant leader. Leadership is an action, not a position. You can take initiative to do something before you're elected the class president. Who would you say are the leaders here at Ecola? Who are the leaders here at Ecola? Josh, David, they have the position. Is there anybody here that maybe doesn't have the title but that still is a leader? They do a lot of the behind the scenes stuff and they plan a lot of stuff and they make things happen. I don't, I don't know. A lot of times in churches, I mean, you, we think of the senior pastor as the leader, and maybe rightfully so, but there's a lot of times in churches there are other people in the leadership that don't have that title. Being a leader is like being a lady. 
if you have to go around telling people you are one, then maybe you're not. <laughs> that was an interesting quote. <laughs> we are all leaders. Leaders is not a position, it's a mindset, is the title of this book. That's an interesting concept. Leadership is about mindset, not about position or not about a title. In this book, this is what he talks about. Formal leaders, they have a formal title, they have a responsibility, they're held accountable, they have authority in the role, and it applies only to a few people. But a mindset leader, a mindset leader, they have the mindset of being a leader, they take responsibility, they just don't have the responsibility, they are proactive, they have a certain authority in their personal. It's called relational power. You know, I took a class at Gonzaga in my PhD program on relational leadership. And you know what research shows? Research shows that relational leaders have more influence than positional leaders in life. Let me say that again. Relational leaders have more influence than positional leaders. You are a relational leader on this campus, whether you realize it or not. You may not be a positional leader. You may not have the title, but you can influence somebody else. You can influence them to greater love, greater kindness, greater thankfulness, greater, greater, greater relational. It's a mindset. One model of leadership that was really becoming popular when I finished up my program was called leading from the middle. <laughs> leading from the middle. Leading people from the middle. Yeah, over and over, leading from the middle. We're going to end on this concept. Talk to me a little bit about what goes through your mind when you think about leading from the middle. Now, what do you think? It's about action. It's not about where you are. It's not about your title. It's not whether you're in the front. It's about doing something where you are and impacting the people that are right around you. You know? Yeah. What else? Yeah. Listening and being Yes. Where could you best listen if you're in a group? In the front or in the middle? In the middle. You're in a better position to influence in the middle than you are to influence when you're up front in a lot of ways. That's an interesting concept. Uh, it's like, whoa, really? What do you think, Kevin? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Being in a group. You know what I love about what it says about Jesus? I love, in fact, I wrote a paper on this. I called it incarnational leadership. When you think of incarnation, you think of Jesus, right? Because John talks about the fact, you know, that, that the word, you know, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. That's what, in, that's what the incarnation of Jesus was, that he became flesh. Jesus came into the middle of humanity. Incarnational leadership. 
And I talked about incarnational leadership as a pastor. If a pastor's not in the middle and connected to his congregation, oh my goodness, he's, he's out in front, but he's not connected. He's not involved. He's not, there's no interaction. How about incarnational parenting? The parent that tells the kids what to do, but doesn't walk with the kids and gets close to them and understands them and works with them. You guys are in the middle of Ecola. You're in a strategic place to influence one another. You don't have to wait to be given a title. You can initiate. You can listen. You can care. You can speak. You can start conversations at lunch tables. You can plan a party just by saying to a bunch of your friends, hey, let's go out for pizza. You, you can do, you know, a lot of things. Yeah, go, go ahead, another comment. Yeah, no matter what you're involved in, if you're in the middle of it, you're in, a, you're in a strategic place of influence in the middle. And that's what I like about incarnational leadership. Incarnational leadership means that you're, you're in the middle and you have influence because you're with someone, you know? And um, that's, that's just, you know, critical. Did you have a comment? Okay. Um, what does this concept mean about the nature of leadership? Okay. Session two. Any questions? Any comments? We are out of time. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this introduction. Uh, we've gotten into some concepts that are a little bit different about leadership, but that have huge implications for us right here at Ecola. God, I pray that each one of these students might begin to see themselves as a leader they may have never seen themselves as a leader before. They've always seen themselves maybe as a follower or just an average person kind of going through life. But God, I, I fully believe that you've given them skills and abilities to influence, to empower, to make things happen, uh, to initiate, to encourage. And that's what being leaders um, is all about. God, help them not to think of leadership as, as title or position or power. It's more about coming alongside someone else from the middle and influencing and caring and being an example and encouraging and empowering. That's really what leadership is about. God, we saw that of Jesus in his incarnation. He became human and dwelt among us. He set up his tent among humanity. And in the midst of humanity, he influenced, he healed, he helped, he cared for, he showed compassion. God, thank you for that model. And God, may you empower us to be leaders today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hope that's a good start.